0: I wonder what Yuri Gagarin felt when he left the Earth's atmosphere and was the first astronaut in the world, a Soviet cosmonaut, and he looked down upon the Earth. I wonder what Alan Shepard, the first American astronaut who went into space, thought when he looked back at the Earth. Or John Glenn as he took the first orbit or two around the Earth, or any of our astronauts ...that have gone into space and have looked back at planet Earth. I remember when the Apollo moon shots went off. I remember, I believe, I believe it was Neil Young or Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin as they were on the moon... ...taking photographs from the moon's surface of the Earth. You've probably seen some of those photographs from space of the Earth and how it just gives you a different perspective... And then you think about that there's life on this planet. And from a distance, you know, the world looks like a multicolored marble to a child. Colorful with blues of various hues, greens and browns, white clouds. It just looks amazing. In 1990, Bette Midler popularized a song that had been written a couple years earlier, titled From a Distance. And the lyrics to that song go like this From a distance the world looks blue and green, and the snow capped mountains white. From a distance the oceans meet the stream and the eagle takes to flight. From a distance there is harmony, and it echoes through the land. It is the voice of hope, the voice of peace, it is the voice of every man. From a distance we all have enough, and no one is in need, and there are no guns, no bombs, and no disease, no hungry mouths to feed. From a distance we are instruments marching in a common band playing songs of hope, playing songs of peace. They are the songs of every man. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. For God is watching us from a distance. From a distance you look like my friend, even though we are at war. From a distance I just cannot comprehend what all this fighting's for. From a distance there is harmony and it echoes through the land. And it is the hope of hopes. It is the love of loves. It is the heart of every man. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. And that's true. You know, from a distance, we can't see what's going on in other parts of the world. They're thousands of miles away or hundreds of miles away. And it's almost like it doesn't even happen. But it does. And with the recent shooting in Sutherland Springs, Texas, at a Baptist church, much like what we're doing right now, somebody walked in the doors, through the doors, and started shooting. People were dying. They were being killed. People were being wounded. There were some heroic actions. One mother gave her, put her body as a shield over her children. And one of her children survived. I think it was a stepson or a stepdaughter. It really doesn't matter. One family lost eight family members. And what's going on in our world, we ask. It doesn't take long, and it didn't take long, the day that the news of the shooting broke out. It was by far not the worst. There was one in Kenya that killed 158 at a school. There was one in India. At another school that killed some 130, I believe it was, or 128, the number escapes me right now. Then there was the one several years ago in Norway, Ander Breivik, 77 were killed. I mean, and it just goes on and on, and we have the Las Vegas shooting, we can name the ones in our country. But of the top four or five of the top 15 or 16 shootings in the world, mass shootings... They've taken place outside of the United States. But there is a common denominator that it will occur immediately following it. There will be a politicization of it. People on the left and right going to their respective corners to come out fighting. Is that the answer? Is there a time to wait? Should we wait till the dust has settled, the smoke is cleared from the shooting? For the victims their families, to bury them, and have a time of mourning and grief for the families before we start trying to make political hay out of a situation. I don't know what that answer is. I know that right now, today, in the past week, probably churches like ours have talked about that could happen to us. What should we do? Should we hire armed security guards? Should we change the system at which we secure our building so that we only let certain people come in? That would be contrary, it seems, to what our mission is in Christ. I'm not opposed to taking precautions that may or may not be, that may be necessary for the security of those who are here. But when is too much, too much. But then it starts about going into not only the politicalization of gun control, but it also starts talking about, well, there's mental health issues going on here, and we need a better mental health system in our country. And that may be true, but what I want to deal with today is what's the true problem I believe really is. It's not going to be found in politics. It's not going to be found in medicine. Because what we're dealing with, and why do we want to make it a political issue? Why do we make it a gun control issue? Or a medical, psychological issue? And I think it's because in part we don't want to recognize the reality of what it may truly be. And that is evil in our world. Because there is a moral component to this. If we say it's mental health... Or if we blamed the guns,
1: and if we got them out
0: of society, then it would all go away. It wouldn't all go away. Other methods would be used. Because it is a heart problem. It is a problem of evil. As I turn to Romans chapter 1, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to think about it from... Well, the perspective that you'll think about it immediately is your Christian heritage. Is murder wrong? I think we can all say, yes, Murder's wrong. If God does not exist, is murder wrong? Or is it just your opinion that murder is wrong? You see, if there is no God, there is no moral construct above yourself, then you're the God of your own world. And it's just your opinion That murder is wrong. Because there is no moral objective moral standard, how can you say that somebody else's standard is wrong if there is no objective truth, no objective moral standard? We say it's wrong, but in the absence of God, it's just a nice idea. Because I don't want to die, therefore I'm not going to kill anybody. But what about those leaders such as Hitler, Stalin, or Mao, they probably didn't want to be killed, yet they killed 100 million or more people collectively. They did it because ultimately they didn't believe there was a God that would stand in judgment of them. You see, it's a moral issue that we have to deal with. And Paul said in Romans chapter 1, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. We can just stop right there, because that summarizes it all, because... That God gave them over to do whatever they wanted. It's not that God walked away from us. It is that it is not that we it's that we walked away from God. So if you walk away from God, he's no longer in your world. And if he's not in your world, then you have no objective standard, no truth. ...to follow that says what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. And when you start saying something is evil, you're calling for a moral judgment... ...and our political leaders don't want to have any moral judgments. But there is one. Murder is wrong. Objectively so. Because God has said it is so. And there are people out in the world that do terrible things simply because they are evil... Oh, they may have a mental condition. I don't know if the shooter in Sutherland Springs, Texas, uh, Devin Kelly, if he had a mental issue. We'd like to think he would. Why? Because then I don't have to worry about evil. But I'm mindful of evil. And I think back to what we saw in the first half of the video in, from the Truth Project series, the last video, where Del Tackett was talking about, and you could hear the pain in his voice, but before he got to that part, he was talking about there was a girl in a class that he was in, in a school, and how they made fun of her. And kids will be kids. Today we would call it Bullying. And it has repercussions. But you can see and hear the pain in his facial expressions and in his voice, in his words, wondering, I wonder what happened to her. Because I would sure like to know that she's okay. And if I could, I would tell her I'm sorry. Why? Because later on, had he learned more about Christ and about what the Bible teaches, he was ashamed of what he did. Because now there's a moral standard that's guiding him. And while there was one, maybe when he was growing up, it wasn't his moral standard. Because he hadn't made it his own. He hadn't made all the connections. To him it was just play. It was just making fun of somebody and not thinking about long-term consequences. Evil abounds. Evil is evil. Matt Walsh is a commentator. Uh, He says this about the situation that took place in Texas. Laws won't heal the human spirit. Neither will prescription pills. Moral corruption cannot be treated like a headache. What is troubling is that we dehumanize each other while medicalizing and politicizing evil. The result is indifference and detachment. Detachment. This is the area in which Satan thrives. This is the atmosphere of hell, and it is infecting our world. And the only antidote is Jesus. You see, evil is in the world, and so because man didn't want to follow God, he let them go. For this reason, God, for, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He gave them over they walked away from God, and he let them go, because they didn't want to listen to him. You see, it started way back in Genesis chapter 3, a passage we've spent some time in several times lately, it seems. The serpent with Eve. And the serpent said to the woman in 3 and verse 4, or in, in verse uh, 1, Has God said, You shall not eat from any of the tree of the garden? And the woman said, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said, Oh, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, just analyzed for a bit, God held something back from you. You want to be like God, don't you? And she said, yeah, she wanted to be God. She wanted to decide what was good and evil, what was right and what was wrong. God said, don't do it. Don't eat from it. Don't touch it or you'll die. Now, she had no comprehension of what that meant, per se. But she knew God had spoken. Don't eat from it. She did. Adam did. And their eyes were opened and they hid themselves from God. And you go over to Genesis chapter 6, and it gets worse by that time. Verse 5 of Genesis 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does that sound like that could be written today? Have you ever stopped to think as you're listening to the news about wars and people abusing one another and mistreating and thefts and murder and mayhem that, gosh, this world thinks they think nothing but of evil? Sometimes I wonder. It seems that way. The Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth and He was grieved in His heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, every to creeping things, to birds of the sky, for I am sorry I have made them. said, so They don't think about me. They only think of evil. I'm just going to wipe it all out. Verse 8 then says, But Noah found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I don't know what it was about Noah's life, but there was something there, a spark that God thought, I can take him and his family and use them. And man... By the time you get to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, their hearts were on evil again. And it says, God said, the Lord came down in verse, chapter 11 and verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men built. The Lord said, behold, they are one people. They all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come now, let us go down and confuse their language, so they not one understand one another. You see, they collected themselves. Maybe the stories about the flood they didn't want that to happen again. We're going to build this massive tower that will extend high as the heavens, and we'll never have to worry about another flood like that. They weren't focused on worshiping God and following Him. Their hearts were evil. God is watching us from a distance the psalmist David wrote in the 139th psalm saying O Lord you have searched me and known me you know when I sit down when I rise up you understand my thought from afar you scrutinize my path my lying down you are intimately acquainted with all my ways even before there is a word on my tongue behold O Lord you know it all you have enclosed me behind and before Your hand is you laid your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your, right hand, will lead, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. We can't escape God. He's there and He's watching. And He's told His church to do something about the evil that is in the world. You see, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's telling man there's a way back to the garden... And it's through the blood of my son, Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven. While we were enemies of God, Jesus died. God gave his son so that we might have life. And what did Jesus tell us? Well, at the end of Matthew, he said in chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, "...all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. God has commanded what we need to do. Yeah, we need to be praying about the safety and security of everyone who is here. Maybe we need to take measures to make certain that people that may mean harm to us don't have a chance to do it. But I don't glory in somebody coming in wanting to wreak mayhem upon us and having someone here shoot them first. I know Stephen Williford is struggling. He is the man who responded at hearing the shooting going on and took his rifle and shot the perpetrator, Kelly, in Sutherland, Texas last week. Probably stopped further shooting and attacks. Of a man who was going unrestrained because he had no human compassion, no human feeling. He was evil. Now, may have been mentally ill as well. Maybe. Maybe he had been bullied when he was in school. And finally just had his fill of it and said, I don't care. There's claims that he was an atheist. If he was, that just tells you how far away he was from God. And therefore had no respect for the things of God, the lives that God had created. Our responsibility is in going to people. And if God's people will truly take seriously His command to go and teach, make disciples, what will that do to people? Well, I think Del Tackett might be a case in point. Today he grieves, at the time of the publication of his videos at least, and I'm assuming he feels the same way today as he did then, when he made them. He hurts because of his bullying of a young lady when he was maybe in junior high. Why? Because he doesn't know if she got bullied to the extent that maybe she took her life, or what her life became. And he feels that he had a part in that. Because if he wouldn't have done that... Maybe she, her life would have been different. And we don't know when we go to somebody who goes to somebody else. You, because you see what Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. The things you have heard and seen in me in the presence of many witnesses. You teach to faithful men who will teach others also. So the chain is not broken. And you may teach somebody. And you're teaching somebody maybe simply inviting them to come to services sometime. It may mean just opening up your Bible with them and sharing just a little bit to get them into the Word and leading them to Christ. It may be that you'll hand them off like Andrew went and got his brother Peter and brought him to Jesus and handed him off, if you will. As long as we're working together, one plants, one waters, it's God that gives the increase, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's not you and me, but we have to do our part. And so who's to say if somebody there in Texas wouldn't have found a young 14-year-old Devin Patrick Kelly, shared the gospel with him, not bullied him, shared the love of Christ with him, that his life might have been different, and that he wouldn't have done the things that he did a week ago today. You see, from a distance, everything looks Fine, it looks wonderful. Because we don't have to deal with it up close and personal. It's when it affects you intimately and closely that you struggle to grasp at what's going on. From a distance, God is watching us. And I have to wonder if he's not wondering why we who have been given life have been entrusted with the gospel are just sitting on it inside of four walls on Sunday morning. Now, I know we're not all doing that. I know each one of you is having a part, and you're doing your best to reach others. But Paul, in Acts chapter 17, while he was preaching about on Mars Hill at the Areopagus, to the unknown God, he used that idol that they had made. And he's called them, and he declares God to them. And he says, therefore, in verse 30, 17 in verse 30 of Acts, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he is fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed by having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Well, that got their attention. Some of them wanted to know more about it. That's the message that we have. And that's the message we have to get out into the world. Because our world is falling. And just because they're going to slander us and persecute us for the faith, in fact, Jesus addressed that for us in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount about those who would persecute us. I didn't mark it, so it takes me a moment to find it. In Matthew chapter 5, and he said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, if we're persecuted for the proclamation of the gospel, so be it. I will take that persecution. As we studied in class today, it is only a momentary light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us in heaven. God is watching us. And I wonder if sometimes He doesn't become perplexed and think, what are they waiting for? Why aren't they getting into the lives of people to change people's hearts so that they won't have to deal with Murder and rape and assaults and robberies and child abuse and spousal abuse. When will my people do what I've called them to do? From a distance, God is watching us. Evil exists in our world, but God has given us the antidote. Jesus Christ is the antidote against evil. Will all people respond positively? No. But we still try to share the message. Because who knows, maybe today, tomorrow, we'll find the next Devin Patrick Kelly, who's but a young boy today, and change his life so that tomorrow, he doesn't walk into a church building and shoot people. I don't know. I know it's not a legal problem. I don't believe it's a mental health problem, although it has its feelers there. But I do know, and I do strongly believe, it is a problem of morality. It's a problem of evil. And we need to start calling out evil, because it's evil. Can I get an amen? You know, isn't that true? We need to call it out. Well, God is watching us. He's wondering, what are we going to do? But what about you? Where are you today? What's your life like? God is watching you individually. And He knows what's going on in your life and in your heart. And He's there for you. And if you've never given your life to Him, He's willing and ready to accept you. Believe that Jesus is His Son, who died on a cross for you. That you might have life. Be immersed into him and have your sins washed away. If you've strayed, you can come back home. You see, with God, the light is always on, the door is always unlocked, and it's open, ready for you to come home. I don't know your heart today, but God does. And you know part of what your heart does, but God knows it all. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, please come to Him. While well, together we stand in all His things.